because they just shut him down and they've got 9,000 other infielders, so it doesn't really matter that much. But If you had a true four-way tie, you would have, say, A, a and B playing and C and D playing and the, those two winners playing. He had all those problems being sandwiched in between those schlubs, Jose Bautista and Edwin Encarnacion. And welcome to episode number 119 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we're always serving up a steady diet of EFIS pitches. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined tonight by Joshua Housem. Josh, how goes it? Not too bad. How about for you? Uh, it's getting late early now, I've noticed. It, yeah. I, it's both in a season sense and in a the sun keeps going down earlier than I want it to sense. Uh, as the sun sets on the season, we are going to be talking about Aaron Sanchez and uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and why we can't have nice things. Um, a Roberto Osuna return and the reaction to him. Uh, our two favorite starting pitchers, now that our two favorite starting pitchers don't seem to be in the rotation anymore, are Panone and Baraki. So we're going to talk about them. Uh, we have uh, one or two uh, firsts for some of the rookies. Uh, Alemus Diaz, I think he deserves a uh, pat on the back for his fine season, uh, which he wanted to go over. And, ah, yes, pitching. Um, we kind of probably have to talk about that. We do have an interview with Jay Jaffe about team entropy and why you should be cheering for chaos. All kinds of chaos as things wind down. We have your questions, of course. And we have a do-over from, of all things, a former Blue Jay All-Star. To the, to the top of the show where we get the depressing stuff out of the way. Aaron Sanchez, uh, done for the season, but more importantly, uh, you uh, you pointed out not just that, but hopefully ready for the the spring training. To which I say, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Like, ho hold on. <laughs> and, and, the, and it was like, the, the interesting thing was, you know, we haven't got all the details yet. Like, wait, why does the team not have all the details of the, of the surgery right away? <laughs> well, I like some guys you get, he's always had a diagnosis, an MRI, has a, this considering surgery, and then two months later you hear that. And then there's other guys. Ah, uh, yeah, he had a surgery on his finger. When? Two days ago. We're, we're just asking about him. What? That's, that's just it? He had the surgery? It's done? <laughs> Was yeah, there a discount? I mean, was it a special or something? <laughs> no one really knows what exactly is going on with Aaron Sanchez and this finger injury. I mean, all we know is that it was hurt. We don't know anything beyond that, which is kind of strange. Yeah, it's it was it was a contusion. It was a, it was an injury, not a wear and tear type thing. We know that, but we know it swelled up, and that's it. We don't know if he, I don't know, we, broken bone. I guess not a broken bone, but. It's taken no. a bloody long time. And then he had surgery. Yeah, and the thing is, he, he threw a gem in his previous start. When yeah. he just dominated the Red Sox. And then, done for the season. Surgery, out for months. It was very abrupt. So we color us confused, whatever color that is. I think we're going to remain confused until Aaron Sanchez throws 95 miles an hour again. Which he still wasn't really doing. Well, ninety-five, he was hitting occasionally. It was, the, but he, it's it, even ninety-six or whatever. But it wasn't that ninety-eight, ninety-nine occasionally. Ninety-seven to ninety-nine that he was doing in two thousand sixteen when he was so dominant. 
So we're going to be scratching our heads. Uh, we also lost Lourdes Gurriel Jr. So they made a big deal about the Gurriel brothers being on the field in the major leagues at the same time. And it was very special. And there was, you know, hugs and there was joint press conference. And mom was there wearing, or was it dad or something? He was wearing the split jersey. One Houston yeah, half. And, yeah, wonderful. And then after grounding out to mo- it. It was their mom, yeah. It was their mom. Uh, and then after grounding out to a double play, he had to leave the game. Yeah, at least the double play ended up in Lourdes, in his brother's glove. I, it, was, it was unfortunate. I mean, this one at least is you know, it's, just, it's a hamstring strain. It sucks seeing the guy like seeing especially this this whole thing like you said built up and then it's just one at bat in the first inning and it's over. But at least unlike Sanchez, this shouldn't affect him long term. Yeah, and I I mean I totally understand if he's pulled his hamstring, he's not coming back in a week, right? Like there, there's no yeah. point to pushing it at this point. Exactly. It's just shut him down, and they've got 9,000 other infielders, so it doesn't really matter that much. But one thing I just wanted to mention just before before we jumped away from Sanchez completely, we talked about this before, last podcast, and I think was, we're saying it's like that Sanchez would have a full off season to build up his arm strength and potentially get some of that velocity back. Now he doesn't have that. Nope. He's going to be recovering from surgery again. Yeah, I... I... I don't even know. I I was gonna come. I was gonna bring that back up later when we started talking starting rotation because we had a question about that. But it's valid uh, now as well. It's, it's like it doesn't. It does not settle anything where Aaron Sanchez's future is concerned, and we know already that Marcus Stroman's future is unsettled. And uh, Marco Estrada walked off the mound tonight. Uh, he doesn't have a contract for next year. Uh, and he had a really rough season. If you want to look at the, you know, the overall picture, he still had some good starts. Don't get me wrong, but is this a guy you want to try and bring back and, and recapture Marco Estrada magic? I don't think he makes sense. No, no, no. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to go too deep into the rotation in general, just specifically on Sanchez about the and a secondary nature of this injury. But yeah, you're right. Uh, the other pitcher that we should probably talk about is Roberto Osuna, who was resoundingly booed when he returned to close out the first game of the Houston-Toronto uh, series, which is, I think that's what we were expecting. I don't know. I, I, I thought that there would be at least more, more cheers than there were. It was very funny that TV flashed to his lawyer standing and cheering where Houston had. Um, I don't know. I, I, I thought there would be boos for sure, but not to the level they were. I mean... He, so it was kind of funny. So he came out of the bullpen to booze, and then there was a review on the field, so he had to go back. And then he came out again to booze. <laughs> <laughs> and then they announced him to more booze. So I thought it would sort of end there. Like for first him coming out, I didn't expect him to come out twice. And then hit the announcement. But they – I mean, I was there as well. But the, the booing last – was every time he was waiting for the, for the sign, looking in, holding the ball. I mean, that was – that's the kind of thing they usually reserve for basketball and hockey players every time they touch the ball, the ball in the puck, and they were doing that for Roberto Osuna. I think there's, a, yeah, there's a, a lot going on there in terms of um, a lack of contrition on his part. As much as he took the suspension, the fact that he never made a, you know, an in-person statement, uh, the fact that we don't have a, you know. I think a lot of people were looking for someone to be genuinely sorry, and I don't think they got that. I think there were some statements to his lawyer that were kind of half-hearted, you know, in legalese. And, yeah, I think he didn't 
He did not endear himself in any way. So I can see why the booze came out. Yeah, I mean, even after... So we were recording this after the final result, and he got a piece, settled for a peace bond, which means he can't talk to go near the person for a year. You know, there's various other things, but there's no criminal record. Even that, once that was all settled, he basically just said, like, you know, it's done, I'm happy, it's over, I'm going to move on. And then that was the end of it. Yeah, so when you don't acknowledge in any way that you've harmed the other party, when, when obviously everything you've gone through indicates that, yes, you have harmed another party, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think a lot of people are going to come out on your side when, when that's the attitude that you've taken. Yeah, and and honestly, like whether he's, I, I think that he would have gotten a, a hearty boo regardless of this, but it just this probably just exacerbated it a little bit. Yeah, and I I don't think it will uh, abate when he comes back. You know, next season, I think I think there will be boos for Rodovosuna in this town a long time because that that's been established now that that's what we do. Uh, if we're in the stands, we not me. I wasn't at the game, but <laughs> you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, I, I do, and I think you're right. So, that said, that closes the book on R Roberto Osuna, Toronto Blue Jay, really, in every sense, because um, he's he's out of the record book, so to speak. Uh, Ken Giles, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Ken Giles uh, has been awesome lately, though. I mean, it, oh, it, yeah. that wasn't our that wasn't that wasn't a shot at Ken Giles. I have no complaints. Yeah. <laughs> No, he's been, been fantastic, and he's given up one run in September, it, it, maybe two runs in his last 13 innings or something, but he's been really, really good. So uh, Thomas Pannone and Ryan Barucki, also really, really good. They've uh, each had a start since our last podcast. How did they fare? Really well. <laughs> um, the, this has been the really bright spot as the team enters the final stretch of its season. Sorry, I had to clear my throat there. Uh we were talking about you know some of this pitching and the struggles that this team has had in the rotation. Barucki and Pannon, the two, you know, the guys are they look like back of the rotation stuff starters. The performance hasn't matched that. I mean, the last time out, uh, Pannon was facing you know the Tampa Bay Rays, who you know their their team strength is more pitching than hitting. But you know, two runs into the seventh, and they, we talked about this I think last time where he's only had one start where he gave up more than two runs, and that was against the Orioles in his second career start. So, I don't know. I, I thought he was a triple-A bound guy, but I think he might be something. You know, you, you do take it with a with a grain of salt because uh, there's the lineups that they're facing are kind of augmented. As we know, the Blue Jays have a million guys on the roster, and other teams are doing similar things. But on the flip side, um, you I... I tend to believe that if you're looking at guys who are not getting themselves in trouble with like a high pitch count or a bunch of walks or nibbling at the plate um, and are able to go six seven innings on a regular basis that in itself has some value that they're not doing this you know sort of five and dive and struggle to figure out how to get through those innings they're attacking when they can attack which hey i'm all for that yeah i mean and also the, the last three teams you face cleveland new york and tampa those teams are all going to win 85 or more games Mm. So, uh, look, look, like you said, I mean, there, there's, or you have said at least, it's September, and there's a lot of things that are mirages about what we're seeing. It's still a lot better to see this performance than not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's at least the potential of something. Um, and what was how far did Baraki get into his start? 
seven innings and he gave up two runs to Tampa as well. And I think he struck out seven. I think he gave up seven base runners. That was like a lot of sevens in that, that performance, but he gave up no runs in eight innings against Baltimore earlier in the, in the week. And he has just been really very solid. He hasn't given up more than two runs all month. So I don't know. I mean, it's a lot more interesting looking at these guys than I thought it was going to be. I mean, Brucky sort of had a bit more fanfare, but Panone looked like he might be, the reports were maybe a sixth starter type, and he's been looking a lot better than that. We shall see going forward. Uh, okay, so one note from tonight that I just wanted to point out, because the Blue Jays have not had exactly a whole slew of rookies come through in the last couple of years, because they've had this elderly lineup trying to, to uh, fake its way into a division. Uh, Jonathan Davis. Got his first career double, a hustle double, uh, pretty much, sliding in and, and just beating the throw. So congratulations on his first career double. Um, we congratulated Rowdy Tellez a, a couple of weeks ago uh, on all of those doubles. <laughs> I don't think Jonathan Davis is quite in that category. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the kind of thing we said we were watching for. So thumbs up uh, for that accomplishment. Yeah, I don't really know where Jonathan Davis fits in the future because he doesn't look like he has a super high ceiling. He's fast. He can play a bit of the outfield. He doesn't have a lot of pop. He's really tiny. <laughs> he's <just laughs> listed at five foot eight, but I don't think he's five foot eight. And they have enough, uh, enough options at fourth outfielder that I'm really not sure what the plan is for him. Maybe it's right now. He's up just to see a bit of what he can do so they can decide who they trade and who they make the fourth outfielder, but it's still cool. No first big league double. Indeed. Uh, the other guy you would you brought up uh, to me beforehand, uh, before we recorded, was uh, Aledmus Diaz and how he might be uh, a harder guy to decide what to do with uh, at this point in the season. Yeah, I know, especially like earlier in the season, if you'd asked a lot of people what they thought of Aledmus Diaz, is he was just a placeholder until the young guys come up, and well, that still might be true, but he's making that a lot harder decision. He's He's after at this point we're recording this. He's two for two in this game between Toronto and Houston. We're recording this on Tuesday. That brings his current OPS up to seven sixty six with a three oh five on base, which is not great, but a four sixty one slugging. And he can play short. He can play third. He can play second. That's a pretty useful player. Indeed. You know, a real middle infielder because he does have the arm for shortstop, no question. Whereas a lot of the other guys who fit that middle infield mold that the Jays are carrying, shortstop is like the place you put them when the other guy fell down and broke something. Which, given the Jays, happens pretty often. But <laughs> that's, yeah, it's like <laughs> once a week. But that notwithstanding, um, yeah, you you if you if you really want a a backup shortstop or a super utility guy, Aledmus Diaz and a, an OPS in the mid-700s seems to fit the bill a whole lot better than a, uh, a bunch of the other names that float around. Yeah, and he's actually in this... He's been playing a lot of third base as well because they have Urania up and, well, they had Guriel, but so they wanted to give everyone much playing time. He looked really good at third base, so it's a lot more than just a backup shortstop. It could be a true utility infielder, and... I don't know. I mean, at least before Vlad comes up, I could see if he keeps hitting this way, he could steal some of bats from Brandon Drury. Yeah, it remains to be seen. So that's that's one of the bright spots I think for next year is uh, it's you know he may be traded because maybe he did jack up his value over the the uh, the course of the season and the Jays have some, their eyes on something else. But if if he gets into spring training with the team, uh, maybe it's you know the problem of having too much of a good thing for once because now I have to direct our attention to the pitching. <laughs> There's, there's a lot of pitchers 
Uh, there seem to be a lot of runs scored late, though. Yeah, the bullpen is... If the guys are trying to fight for jobs, it's no one's really winning. <laughs> uh, no, I, I shouldn't say that. A couple of guys have looked okay. Tim Meza, my boy, he's actually starting to look okay. I, you know, they keep using him for full innings. I don't know if that's really his role going forward, but he's pitching a lot better. I mean, he's, you know, say we will about ERA for a reliever, but it's down to three three eight. He's got forty strikeouts and thirty four innings, and that's not bad. No. No, more than more than nine uh, K per nine, and yeah, it, he he hasn't melted down lately. Obviously, by yeah, the I mean, ERA, he actually, yeah, he actually hasn't given up a run in his last fifteen outings. Across fourteen and two thirds, he's got nineteen strikeouts, four walks, and six hits. I mean, that's tremendous. So I think he's firmly putting himself in the mix for at least one of the left-handed roles. But I mean, other than maybe David Paulino, everybody else is just I think they don't want to be in the major leagues. I mean. Barnes, Biagini, Jose Fernandez. I'm running out of names here. Um, Petrichka. <laughs> even Petrichka is like he's up and down. It's just they have all these guys here fighting for spots. And I don't know if any of them really are in the mix. I mean, obviously, it's like you have Ken Giles will be there. Tapera will be there. Meza, I think, is firmly there now. But other than that, I can't really say for sure that any of them are going to be in the team next year. And, and that's, again, it's not a position where the Blue Jays want to find themselves with a bunch of question marks because they have enough question marks in the starting rotation to begin with. Uh, you know, but they do always lately have been building the bullpen late as it goes. But you'd, you'd like four sure things, wouldn't you? Or five uh, that you could at least count on optioning up and down. And, and this, like you said, is not that. So yet another area where the Blue Jays are looking uh, soft, shall I say? Yeah. Going. Yeah, and I think I think that's it. I mean, coming into this year, we talked about some of the potential guys that could come up for this bullpen, and they seemed a little better than this. I mean, this year, like you said, like they, they could go out and sign next year's Stone One O and Tyler Clippard and John Axford and fill it that way, but they would like, I think, to at least try to find some longer-term pieces that they can build their bullpen around and not have to be just shuffling this guy, these guys in, these veterans every year. Indeed. So, uh, yeah, we started on kind of a down note, and then we uh, somehow we ended up back on a bit of a down note. I Perhaps I didn't <laughs> put that in the right order. We're going to go uh, crazy, though, because we're going to go talk to Jay Jaffe, and we're going to talk about Team Entropy, which uh, we do try and do every year about this time. Uh, there are some interesting possibilities for getting just a, a little bit of extra baseball out of the major leagues, and we'll go into uh, how and why you should be cheering for that in just a sec. And we are pleased to have back on Artificial Turf Wars, Jay Jaffe, senior writer at Fangraphs, one of our favorite websites. Welcome back to the show, Jay. Hey, thanks. Good to be back. Um, we have talked to you before about Team Entropy, um, which of which you are a, a big cheerleader, although I don't suppose anybody's really a member. Um, we know that in all, all ordered systems, things tend to descend into chaos. Uh, and Team Entropy is in favor, of course, of as much chaos as possible at the end of a baseball season. So what does that mean uh, in terms of, of why I should be cheering for chaos at the end of a baseball season? 
Well, the idea is that we want to get more for our money. Uh, and in this case, that means more baseball. Uh, tiebreaker games, ideally, you know, at the end of the 162-game season, uh, whether it's a division title or uh, a wild card spot in play, just uh, a little a little extra uh, excitement. I mean, you know, as if the two wild card games uh, uh, with their single elimination format uh, aren't already enough, we got uh, uh, you know, can add an, if we can add an extra layer of drama, maybe even two uh, with a really complicated tie, uh, that would be fun. We haven't seen much in the way of this recently. Um, from 2007 to 2009, there were tiebreaker games every year. Uh, we've only had just one since. That was back in 2013. I started doing this team entropy stuff in 2011 with the craziness that uh, uh, went down to the season's final day with regards to the Red Sox and I think it was the Cardinals missing the playoffs or the Braves missing the playoffs. I can't remember which of those two teams did. We all know the Red Sox missed it and the, <laughs> and the Rays made it. And it was um, the Braves. Yeah, it was the Braves. Yeah, so uh, – um, I started doing this then and have tracked it every year, uh, kind of start in early September and then just try to focus on, uh, you know, uh, as we get closer, what the actual uh, needs are uh, in order to uh, uh, maximize this chaos that we are such fans of. Well, we're certainly fans of it over here, too, especially because there's not much else to watch for from our end as Blue Jays fans. Yeah, I mean, you know, in a lot of cases, I mean, this is all you have left. You're, you want more baseball, and, uh, uh, you know, you just want to see some drama. And, uh, you know, if your team's out of it, I can, you know, this is this is for you. Yeah, we like that. Um, so just to go a quick refresher for our listeners, what, you know, the teams that are really you're watching as we go down the stretch here to, to get to some kind of level of chaos well, you, we, we've basically got a three-team race in the NL Central between the Cubs, the Brewers, and the Cardinals, and a two-team race in the NL West involving the Dodgers and the Rockies. Uh, two of those teams are going to win the division, and two of the other three are going to be wild-card teams. Uh, there are a lot of configurations that that can come out. Um, right now, uh, the Cardinals are four-and-a-half games back in, uh, in the division race. Uh, the Brewers and Rockies are... Uh, a game and a half back uh, as of today uh, behind the Cubs and Dodgers, respectively. Uh, so those are pretty close. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it, it, we'll have to see how it shakes out, but there's, there's a reasonable chance we could get at least uh, a tie for the second wild card spot, um, maybe more. Uh, maybe even a tie for a division spot that also has wild card implications. Uh, there's a lot to sort out. All right, so... In in the best case scenario, and for us, it is a four way tie still possible? And we're recording this before any of the games have concluded on uh, Tuesday. Yeah, I there. Yes, there are still there are still uh, four way ties possible. It's a little. Let's see. You know, you'd have to you'd have to sit down and figure it out here. But uh, uh, in theory, we could end up with say. Um, Actually, we could we could end up with all five of these teams. I think uh, uh, at something like 92 wins. I mean, you know, the Cubs have 91 wins, uh, the Rockies have 86. Everybody else is somewhere in between. Um, it is certainly possible that we could have uh, uh, multiple teams uh, finishing at the same level. There, uh, there are not a lot of games between contenders. Right now, we've got the. Uh, uh, the Brewers and the Cardinals playing. Um, I, I believe uh, tonight, Tuesday's game, will decide the uh, w- w- the Brewers have a chance to clinch the season series, which could have ramifications if uh, uh, if it comes to a tiebreaker. Um, but uh, uh, that's the, that's the only head-to-head matchup among these teams right now. And then you've got the uh, uh, the 
uh, Cardinals and Cubs playing uh, over the weekend. Uh, that's the other matchup uh, among these teams here that's uh, still on the table. So in the event of a four-way tie, how many games does it take to resolve that out? And I, I mean, I know I'm pipe dreaming here because we've, we've really never had anything like this happen. Well, a four-way, we, we, it, it would be, the four-way tie would implicate division winners. So you, first of all, what happens is if there's a tie between two teams for the division uh, with wild card implications, um, the two teams play off. The winner is the division winner um, with home field advantage based, uh, for that game decided on the head-to-head records. Uh, and then the loser goes into the wild card pool. Um, so in theory, we could have this this five-way tie, which first you would get two playoff games to determine. Oh boy, wait, let's see here. Uh, in one in the in the NL West, you'd have a playoff game to determine the the division winner versus a wild a potential wild card winner, um, and then in uh, the Central, you would have the three teams. Um, if they were all tied, you would have the three teams. Um, Basically seated, uh, or, or they, they would be they would be assigned club, uh, designations club A, B, and C, uh, which they would pick based on the combined head-to-head records against the other two teams combined. Um, of which, I think right now it's the Cardinals who might have the slight edge in that. No, I'm I could be wrong here. Um, it's it, that one's still up in the air. Um, the Cardinals have a 9-7 advantage over the Cubs, but they have three games left there. They're down uh, nine games to eight against the Brewers, so I'm totally wrong about that. Uh, the Brewers are are sub-500 against, let's see, 8-11 and 11 against the Cubs, 9-8 and eight against the Cardinals. Uh, the Cubs are 11-8 and eight and 7-9, and nine, so it's basically it's going to take this weekend to sort out what the pecking order is there. But then, basically, it's Club A hosts Club B, and the winner hosts Club C. That's the format. Uh, uh, for those for those games, so you'd have uh, uh, two games there uh, to decide that. So we could get a lot of extra baseball, um, you know, if this all pans out. We could also be left with nothing, um, you know, as we have in the past. It, 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 there's uh, so many paths that, that can unfold, but unfortunately, uh, it doesn't always work out for us uh, here on Team Entropy. I, I just like the idea that someone had to come up with all of those rules in the very unlikely event that it would actually happen. Oh yeah, you look at the yeah you look at um, let's see uh, the the scenarios that MLB publishes is like you know two teams tie for the division plus a tie with the Cub outside the division for a wild card spot. You know they have to come up with that. Um, two teams tie for the division plus a tie for the with a club outside the division for two wild card spots. Okay, you know just like there's all these scenarios and. Uh, um, you know, basically what it comes down to is once you've figured out who's in the wild card scrum, um, it's, you know, the, this principle of combined head to head records, uh, against the other teams to produce a pecking order and then a dra- which the teams essentially draft, uh, and then a host B and the winner host C or something like that, um, is the general format. If you had a true four way tie, you would have say, a, a and B playing and C and D playing and the, those two winners playing. Um, but I don't think we can actually get to that point here um, just because of the way it's all set up. So, and then eventually at some point we're getting to a situation where they just, everyone will have to race the freeze and whoever wins gets the spot. But <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so given all of this, how disappointed are you that the ale has no drama? Uh, it's a bit of a bummer. I mean, you know, the, the, um, 
the fact that the Indians were basically ran away with the Central, you know, minimized the drama there. Uh, the fact that the Mariners and the Angels really crapped out in, in their races, uh, a bit of a bummer there. Um, but, you know, you do the best you, you can with what you've got. And uh, uh, I'm just happy that there are so many NL, NL permutations in play here because uh, uh, that alone should be uh, reasonably fun. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely, like you said, rooting for that as well. Are you a little surprised, I guess? I, mean, I don't know if that's the right question, but uh, the teams that are involved or specific, or the teams that are not involved in some of these late-season races? Um, you know, I, like I, I've been saying for weeks and weeks and weeks that I thought the Phillies would not keep up with the Braves, for example, so I wasn't surprised that they that they uh, 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 tapped out here. I guess I'm a little surprised that they're falling all the way to 500 here. Uh, given how how solid it looked, I'm surprised that the Nationals never made uh, much noise. Um, you know, that's I think the the most of it. I'm surprised that the Diamondbacks, who I wrote about today, uh, plummeted back to earth so quickly. Um, uh, five and seventeen in September, I think it is something like that. Just Oops. just absolutely gruesome. Um, you know, and as for the as for the AL, uh, you know. It would be nice if the Red Sox and Yankees had run a closer race that was that was in doubt. But when the uh, Red Sox took four from the Yankees there um, uh, a few weeks ago, it was it was pretty obvious that that race was over. Um, the AL West, I think, has still produced a fair amount of excitement, but the A's just haven't been able to quite keep up with the Astros. So, um, you know, I think given the way that uh, just the number of teams that are, that you know came into this year. Uh, competing in good faith versus the ones who are rebuilding um you know i think we're still doing well with with the number of races we've got so you mentioned off the top that you've been doing this since 2011 uh you know perhaps inspired by the number of ties that had happened in the previous years historically do you do you have a favorite year or do you think team entropy had a a peak year that that you would uh you know you'd like to see all well over we've again? had so we've had so few playoffs i mean 2013 i think because we did get the playoff was pretty cool um you know and it seemed like gosh we're going to get a lot of this stuff and it just it hasn't quite materialized that way uh there have been some years where it's really really agonizingly close um i think i want to say 2015 uh was 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 one of them. I may I may be confusing fifteen and sixteen though, where it just it seemed like there were so many possibilities. Then going into maybe the Friday, uh, and then on Sunday we were left with nothing, and it was like ah damn, you know. And and I remember uh, um, Ken Rosenthal, uh, you know, who, who I'm work who who whom I've worked with on uh, uh, at MLB Network uh, several times over the years, and, and I'm on good terms with just giving me a good-natured ribbing about how how, t- how team entropy blew it in the final days. <laughs> Um, but you know, you look back, and, and uh, as I pointed out at the beginning of, of of this year's what I call this year's entropy cycle, which starts on generally starts around Labor Day, is that we've gone every year from 2004 to 2016. There was at least one playoff spot that was decided on the final day of the season. We've always had something going uh, the final day of the season, and some of these things do uh, implicate tiebreakers. We just haven't gotten the tiebreaker out of it, but we do have this tradition of of uh, uh, of things going down to the wire, and I think that's great for baseball. That you know that there is something up in the air going down to the final day of the season that we all have uh, you know can put all eyes on that uh, with that with that playoff intensity. Last year was the rarity, uh, you know, in that we didn't have anything uh, to decide on the final day of the season. That was the first time since since I think 2003. That's pretty crazy when you think about it. That uh, you know, a very very long season. 
every game does count for at least two of the teams most of the time, like you said. Which, uh, yeah, absolutely, that's that is good for baseball. I think. Yeah, you know, you can't, you you can't. Uh, I mean, you you can only do so much to hope for this. You can't, uh, uh, you can't order it to happen, and so. You know, I think it's cool when it's cool when we do get this excitement. I know that uh, you know I've got uh, you know friends uh, who work for you know for MLB or people who work for the teams who are like, God, no, the last thing we need is extra baseball because this is you know creates a logistical nightmare. You know, the networks is like, oh yes, the poor networks. Won't somebody think of the poor poor networks? How they're going to fit this all in? And truth be told, this does make my job a little bit more difficult if we do get uh, uh, these extra tiebreaker games because the turnaround is quick. And, you know, it's just uh, uh, you got to cram more coverage into uh, the same amount of time because they're not moving those wild card games for the most part. But, um, you know, it's uh, I, I think uh, you got to think think about this like a fan. You know, what would a fan want? What, what a fan wants, I think, is, more, you know, more drama, more baseball. Um, and I think that's how you have to approach it as, uh, um, you know, if, if you're, you know, if you're covering it, that, uh, what you know, what serves the best, the better interest of the fan here? Absolutely. So we'll be keeping an eye on the National League scoreboard. And uh, thank you once again for dropping by. And we can obviously check out your stuff on Fangraphs, one of our, like I said, favorite websites. Uh, Where can we find you on the Twitter? Uh, I'm at uh, J-A-Y underscore J-A-F-F-E on Twitter. Um, And, uh, yeah, not too hard to find there. All right. Thanks again, Jay. Take it easy. All right. Sure thing, guys. Take care. And we have returned from a land of chaos and wonder. Um, I don't, I, I, I'm not holding my breath for a four-way tie here. No, me either. But it would be nice to see some of these divisions end up in ties, like the Rockies and the Dodgers and the Cubs and the Brewers. That'd be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just for the record, there has never been more than one tiebreaker game played in, or one tiebreaker series or whatever, in any given MLB year. Despite having them regularly, yearly for a while, like Jay was talking about, there's never been multiple ones in the same year. All right, something to pull for. Exactly. Something new, something fresh. And uh, and we're going to segue that, new and fresh, into your questions. Doesn't that make perfect sense? Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? I would like to thank everyone as we wind down into the end of the season for not asking anything overly technical here at the end of September. Would you like to ask the first question, Josh? Sure. Here we go. This one, definitely not technical. (laughs) From Matt Sweeby at Blue Jay Matt. The big question this time. Gritchick, Guriel, and Drury are the three most attractive Jays. What order do you put them in? I guess... That's not uh, subjective. That's just the three. (laughs) And he said his wife goes Drury, Grichuk, and then Guriel. She can see how Guriel is attractive, but he's just too young for her, so it's icky. (laughs) Oh, is that is that how that's that's, that's maybe oversharing on on your part of your wife's hair? But okay, Um, I think Guriel, the hair itself, is like a whole separate entity, is it not? In terms of attractiveness, the the flippiness and the the flow. So I, I would just assume Guriel, just for pure flash, would end up at the top of the list. I couldn't pick Brandon Drury out of a lineup, so I guess Grichuk makes my number two. 
See, I think Ren and Drury has normal hair, so I think that just puts him at number one by default. <laughs> oh, you you have no no sense of style, no pizzazz. <laughs> Look, if I have to have hair like that to have style on pizzazz, I'm good. <laughs> Josh is out. Uh, okay. Um, question two. Colleen Evans. Thanks for helping us get through this tire fire of a season. Uh, this will be the first time fire and season are used in a question. Let's see if it comes up again. She asks, will you be watching the Arizona Fall League or Australian League Baseball? So the reason for this question is sometimes the Jays send some of their prospects that aren't AFL bound to the Australian League, which they did with Anthony Alford when they wanted him to get at bats. But it's the AFL. Pearson, Vlad, Biggio, Bichette. <laughs> what, what else can you ask for? Uh, 100% in favor. Uh, although the, the little girl from the the uh, meme where she says, why not both, and shrugs her shoulders, that, that also comes up. I mean, you could watch a bit of both, couldn't you? That's true. But uh, and I'm just probably just going to watch the Arizona Fall League. The timing is better anyway. Yeah. So from No Ball Her Only Zool at Baseball Her, she asks, with a picture, just to remind us of, of the gloriousness that is John Gibbons, how much will you miss Gibby? Considering I don't think they're going to get a replacement who's nearly as entertaining, I think the answer is a lot. How could you possibly be as entertaining a manager as John Gibbons? Like, <laughs> whether you like him or not, uh, John Gibbons, or whether you like Ozzy Guillen or not, or Jim Leland or not, those guys are like, when I think about a manager who I actually want to see the post-game with or the pre-game with, those three guys pop into my head. Not a lot of other managers do that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I, th I think it's pretty safe to say that that Gibby's going to be missed. Yeah, um, finger guns, folks, forever. <laughs> what do we got next? All right, so this next question comes in from. Oh, it just disappeared on me. Sorry. This next question comes from, well, it's not a question from Brian A. He says, thanks and congrats for making it through this garbage truck on fire of a season. There's hey, <laughs> fire reference number two. <laughs> yeah. And then the real question from Quinn at Bobachette, besides Vlad, which prospects have the best chance of making an impact next year? First of all, Brian, you're welcome. Uh, this, this is wonderful therapy for us during a garbage truck fire of a season as well. Um, besides Vlad, which prospects have the best chance of making an impact next year? Well, do we count guys who we're looking at right now, like Barucki? Uh, I think Barucki will lose his prospect status officially because he's been up for so long. But I think a guy like Pannon or you know, one of these relievers like David Paulino, uh, I think that those could be the answers for sure. Uh, or Travis Bergen, if they keep him, he's a lefty who's dominated double A. But I mean, like I think Bobachet won't be up until late. I don't see any guy making a serious impact as a rookie other than the ones that are up. Other than Vlad, yeah, we're 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 hearing from the team twenty twenty one to have all the pieces in place, and always with baseball teams, the things suddenly seem to be making uh, sense. Timelines get moved up, but if they're targeting twenty twenty one, they're not calling everybody up at the beginning of twenty nineteen. No, Clint at underscore Clint B underscore uh, says SRF up or in AAA to start the season and we suffer through more Sam starts. I think he has been disparaging <laughs> to, to Mr. Gavilio here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
San Gavilio really shouldn't be starting in the big leagues, I don't think. He makes a really good long man. He's decent the first time through the order, but you know he's a he's a guy who relies on junk balls, and it's just tough to sustain that, especially when the Jays have so many other soft tossers. I think the answer is off the board. Ooh. Well, well, okay. I think he starts in AAA, but not because of Sam Gavilio, because I think they bring in a veteran starter like we've talked about in previous podcasts, like a you know a Lance Lynn or one of those other guys. But I don't think Rod Foley starts in the majors. Cool. I I wouldn't dispute that in the least. Um, heated end at heated end asks. Uh, or says, first of all, thanks so much for the amazing pods. Well, we appreciate that. Amazing. Yeah, thank you. Uh, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> it's late. <laughs> Apart from getting ready to witness Vlad, what percentage of you is looking forward to hearing next year's Orioles season preview? <laughs> and do we have any plans for the off season? I don't really know what those apart from and the percentage looking forward to have to do with each other. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that was, there's a lot packed into that question, but I, I appreciate the sentiment in that, yes, the Orioles will still be worse than the Blue Jays next year, hands down, no doubt about it. And you know what? It will be really fun to talk to probably Jake English about that, because those guys, they're very realistic about their team. And they know this how team... to wallow. That's what they know. <laughs> they really do. <laughs> this is our friends at Bird's Eye View, by the way. Uh, yeah, you can slide over there. I think they're still doing podcasts somehow, dragging themselves. Though I, they, when I mentioned our last question of the uh, batch of the regular season, they they did say we we I have no idea how how low it can go, and I, I would tend to think we we don't actually have an <laughs> idea how low it can go. Oh, I mean, I hope we don't find out. Um, so the do we have any plans for the off season? Let's get through the playoffs, and then we'll talk about plans for the off season. How about that? I mean, one thing I can say is that we will do some extra pellets episodes for our patrons for sure during the off season. So yeah, um, in a sense, you get more of us during the off season if you sign up than you do during the season. So there's that, that's to think about. www.patreon.com slash turfpod. You got our final, final question. question. Okay. Another one from Colleen's at Colleen Evans 6. For the Blue Jays rookie dress up, what theme or types of costumes would you like to see? Is it okay that I'm not actually a fan of the rookie dress up? Sure. We still have to I, answer the question. Yeah. Uh, I, I would rather they bypass the rookie dress up, although it, it figures to be a crowded thing. Um, yeah, I, I, I think probably uh, Avengers would, yeah, or Marvel Universe. That, that, that should be fun <laughs> for them this year. That's what I'm going with. I was thinking similar, but my, I think my fiance had a good one. She said The Incredibles. And I think it'd be really funny because they all have the same uniform. And then it's like you got all these rookies playing for the same positions and these infielders is like, which one is it? I don't know. <laughs> They're all dash. They can all run. <laughs> so cre credit to to my fiance, Sydney, for that one, because I like it. All right. Absolutely groovy. So that concludes your questions uh, for tonight, which means we get to move on. To everyone's favorite feature, the do-over. Oops, I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was... All right. We go to, as I promised, a former Blue Jay All-Star. Former Blue Jay MVP, although that gives it away. <laughs> Quote, it's not George Bell. No. Although I'm sure he would say something, kind of. <laughs> it certainly has. Yeah, it's... 
that wouldn't be new for him really uh so this was passed along by allison craig but is actually from espn's sunday night uh radio radio broadcast. broadcast quote in toronto i had to be the guy in cleveland they have guys josh donaldson Really? What? <laughs> <laughs> what? I mean, yeah, he won the MVP, but that 2015 team was kind of loaded. <laughs> 2016 team, almost equally loaded. He had all those problems being sandwiched in between those schlubs, Jose Bautista and Edwin Encarnacion, who, by the way, is one of the guys he's talking about in Cleveland. <laughs> exactly and a, and a worse version of the, what he was when he was here and if he's talking about the last two years Donson wasn't even here <laughs> he was injured half the time I, I don't even like there is not a context that I would you could put that quote in that would make me feel good about what he's attempting to say there yeah I don't get it I mean the only thing like the, I guess he could be saying like he tried to force himself back because the team was counting on him the last couple of years but it's a bad look. So uh, I guess uh, we'd have to offer him up a do-over. So I think I'll do the honors. Go for uh, it. Go f- yourself. If you do that, uh, yeah, we, we won't ever talk about this again. Tough but fair. <laughs> I think that's probably the easiest do-over we've ever handed out. Really. <laughs> I think anybody could handle that. (laughs) Yeah. Of all the things that happen here in Toronto, I really don't think disparaging this team is, is really where it's at. Like there's, there's no reason to be like that. You can be nice about the Cleveland Indians and not have to put down anything about what happened here in Toronto. Thank you very much. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, that got us through, you know, the most important part of the evening telling Josh Donaldson where his stuff is. <laughs> do you have a final thought? Yeah, I do, and it's not at all related to Josh Donaldson. Okay. It's a sort of a dual thing, but it's related. Two very recent Cy Young winners in the National League, Clayton Kershaw and Max Scherzer, have had some recent uh, fun statistics. So today, we're again, recording this Tuesday, Max Scherzer got to 300 strikeouts, and he was... First person, or the, it's only happened six times, I believe it was, since 1990. And if he doesn't make another start, he'll have allowed the fewest hits for anyone that gave up 150 strike or that struck out 300 guys with 150. Twice as many strikeouts as hits is pretty darn good. It's a strange league, but he's also very, very good. Yeah. And the stat with Clayton Kershaw that makes me sad mm. is that for the first year of his career, Unless he throws 11 and a third shutout innings in his next outing, he is not going to lower his career ERA. He'd done it every year of his career until this year. Which is still bloody amazing. Yeah, it's mind-boggling, considering how good he's been. <laughs> um, somebody put up, I believe, Kershaw and Koufax's stats up to this point in their careers, and they're, they're stunningly similar, like within like 10 starts of one another obviously with a, a few less innings because of the way Kershaw is used versus the way Kofax was used, but Kershaw has a few more strikeouts, but they're, you know, everything about them looks similar. And for them to both be Dodgers is really, I was just fascinated by that. Dodgers lefties who rely on big curveballs too. It's yeah, it's it pretty uncanny. funny. And, and just for record, how crazy this is. 
Clayton Kershaw, the reason he's failing to lower his career RA is because his ERA is two five three. That's how good he is. <laughs> Aaron Sanchez led the 2016 American League with a 3.00 ERA, and we were ecstatic. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Maybe we could trade for that. Oh, no, he's not doing, he's not as healthy as uh, maybe you want in a long-term starter. I don't know, 156 innings is a lot better than the Jays got from their guys. Oh, my God. <laughs> Stick a fork in my eye. Uh, my my thought is is completely nonsensical. I was looking on the MLB.com website, and uh, the title for the games this week is is postseason push. What didn't it used to be called the stretch drive? What uh, did we I need a that. new term for the last week of the season? That's <laughs> no, more alliterative. The, the postseason push. Also, I never understood stretch drive anyway. I do not know what you were stretching. I don't don't know where you're driving. Um, <laughs> it's just very weird. But well, I yes. hope they're stretching. They don't want to get injured down the stretch. Well, exactly. Because if you don't... What is the stretch? Okay. Uh, probably too <laughs> philosophical or lengthy for a final thought. But there we are. So everybody enjoy the postseason push, except the 19 or 20 teams that have no postseason berth waiting at the end of it. Oh my goodness, that said, uh, that brings us around about to the end of the podcast, which is to say that uh, you were Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and I was Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010, and our guest was uh, Jay Jaffe at Fangraphs, uh, also at J-A-Y underscore J-A-F-F-E on the Twitter, and this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 119. We'll talk at you next week.